cool. So, yeah, man, we've, um, we've been spending some time reading our Bibles as a congregation, which has been very cool. And uh, just for those of you who don't know, if you have not yet caught up, we should be around Ruth right now in our little kids' Bible apps, which has been very, very cool. But, you know, it has been interesting for me reading about the kind of people God works with. And I often look at them and I'm like, God, not my first choice. Like, he always seems to pick the guy who's, like, not got it all together. Who, like, I look at them often like, God, that guy sucks. Like, why did you use him? You know, he had nothing really going for him. Um, and I find that often encouraging because it means oaks like me also kind of stand a chance. Um, but it was, it was just interesting to see the kinds of people God uses and why. And uh, I've been thinking about that a lot lately. And eventually I realized I don't think it's just that he deliberately always uses the people with weakness. I think that just everyone has weakness. And God chooses to work with us through that. So, and I love, this was not actually in my preach, but it was just this little scripture that I was reading a bit earlier and it talks about God and his pleasure and it says his pleasure is not in the strength of the horse nor his delight in the legs of the warrior the Lord delights in those who fear him and who put their hope in his unfailing love and I love that um, so yeah I've, I've had an interesting week I've had a week where I have front and center encountered all of my weakness um, it's just been one of those where God has just been poking stuff and um, I've been trying to figure out like what role does my weakness play in my relationship to God because it's there I see it all the time and I'm always feeling like I'm at war with the weakness in myself and sometimes I win sometimes it wins what does that mean because um, as a guy leading a congregation is often like I feel this this pressure sometimes and it's not a legitimate pressure it's this is maybe an area even where I'm busy just being discipled and, and repenting of even but there's this pressure to always be getting it right to be full of excitement and vision and and all this stuff and often I actually don't feel like that often it is just it is hard work like I love doing it there's nothing else I would rather do and lead this congregation but it can sometimes for me be hard work and often that hard work is because of my own weaknesses and I'm like God somehow that's just got to work my weakness and you we've got to figure out how to do this thing because you've called me you've given me this thing to do and yet I am like these guys in the Old Testament full of weakness and brokenness and how does this all now relate to where I'm somehow supposed to get you know in my life and that's how I feel, but it's, it's the same for all of you. Like, if you are here, you are called by God for a purpose, yet you have your weakness. And what is beautiful is that the Bible does give us a lot of clues on how our weakness relates to God. And so, title for this preach would be, My Weakness, His Perfect Power. Okay, so we're going to read some scripture. We're going to get 1 Corinthians 2. Verses 1 to 10 up. And so a little bit of background. This is Paul writing to the church in Corinth. And um, is that NLT, by the way? Okay, cool. Uh, yes, we are. Let's see if you can get NLT up there for me. Um, yeah, so Paul is kind of talking to the church in Corinth, and he's kind of telling them 
about how hard he's been working for the church, all the things he does, the amount of affliction and trial he's been through. And he's still, he's got this revelation of like, I've been called to what I'm going to do. And, you know, it is hard work and I work hard at this thing. But ultimately, you know, I know that I've been called. And so he's telling the church in this letter about what his day is like. He's like, you know, I work harder than anyone else. I suffer a lot of affliction. I've been shipwrecked. I've had a lot of stuff happen to me. And still, I'm like, I'm, I'm faithfully serving God. And he says, but he says, I, I won't boast. He says, this boasting is all so foolish. But let me go on. Let me tell you about the visions and revelations I received from the Lord. I was caught up into the third heaven 14 years ago. So basically, Paul went into the presence of Jesus. Go to the next one there, Salam. Good, bro. Okay, the mouse is up on the screen. There we go. Okay. Whether my body was there or just my spirit, I don't know. Only God knows. But I do know that I was caught up into paradise and heard things so astounding that they cannot be told. That experience is something worth boasting about. So he's saying, like, guys, I was in the presence of Jesus. Okay. I heard the deep mysteries. He shared with me the secrets of the kingdom. Like, if anyone, if that was me, I'd be like, Oaks, let me tell you what it's like. Let me tell you what all this is all about. I have been with Jesus. Honestly, like, I would, I would have a bit of that. Um, yeah, so, but he goes on to say, I have plenty to boast about and would be no fool in doing it because I would be telling the truth, but I won't do it. I don't want anyone to think more highly of me than what they can actually see in my life and in my message. Even though I've received wonderful revelations from God, but to keep me from getting puffed up, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan, to torment me and keep me from getting proud. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace... My favor is all that you need. My power works best in your weakness. Another translation, the NIV says, My power is made perfect in your weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may work through me. Since I know it is all for Christ's good, I am quite content with my weakness and with insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And I love this picture of weakness because it's so different to the world. And that's the beautiful thing about the kingdom. The world operates on one set of principles, and the kingdom is always this kind of opposite, inverse set of principles. And the world is all about overcome your weakness, fight back, get even, pull yourself out of where you are. And the problem is that God is painting a different picture here of how we should relate to our weakness. And so a lot of the reason I have battled so much through the years with my own weakness is that I've misunderstood my relationship with weakness and what it should be like. And the Lord's done this beautiful thing, even in this week, of teaching me how to actually relate to my weakness and what it means. And um, so, yeah, maybe this is not for any of you. I'm just bringing you all along on my journey. So if so, enjoy. Um, 
But yeah, the world tells us to escape from weakness, to escape calamity or disaster, to resist insults, to fight against hardship or persecution or trouble or suffering. You know, it's not your best life. Like, get out of that stuff. And the biblical worldview is find my power in your weakness. Find my grace in your hardship. I remember a beautiful testimony a few years ago by one of the oldest wives in our church who was struggling with some incredibly difficult stuff. It was like health stuff, emotional stuff, family stuff. It just felt like she was kind of beset on all sides. And, um, and then she had breakthrough. And her breakthrough was, I found Jesus in the middle of my storm. My circumstances didn't change, but I found him. And that is always the breakthrough. I think we look at breakthrough as my difficulties have ended. And I don't know about your life, but mine doesn't look like that. My difficulties don't end. Sometimes I step out of one into a new one, and I'm like, okay, what does this mean? And it can be difficult if you don't understand weakness, because then you start to ask yourself questions like I sometimes have of like, Lord, is this punishment? Have I done wrong and now I'm like living in consequences? Have I fallen out of your favor? Am I missing something? Do I need to like fast or pray? Or like, what do I need to do because... Life is hard, and something in me tells me life shouldn't be hard. And so, to get into this, we have three important questions that I want to run through. It is, what are these weaknesses that Paul is talking about? Where do they come from? Is it God? Is it the devil? Is it just me? Is it the fallen world? And then, what is the purpose of this weakness? What goal is it set to achieve? What is the outcome of me living with weakness. And these answers are important because we are always going to experience hardship, persecution, insult, calamity, disaster. You're going to face these things if you're not facing them already. And so we need to understand how they fit into our relationship and our picture with God. Otherwise, when we're in them, it's disaster. <laughs> Everyone crying. And so we need to somehow get to this place where we can experience the sufficiency of his grace and his power made perfect in the middle of difficulty and hardship. And I love that word, his power made perfect. It is his power brought to completeness, his power having accomplished its full purpose. That is the purpose of weakness. And it doesn't make sense. I see a lot of confused faces, and I like that, because I also read it, and I was like, cool, Lord, I see it, but you got to show because I don't, I see it in the print, I don't see it in my life. Like, help me, Jesus. Um, so let's quickly run through these pictures of weakness that Paul is talking about. And, and I want to make an important point here. We need to distinguish between weakness and sin. Okay. His power is not made perfect in our sin. Okay. And so, maybe I'll give you an example. I actually have a weakness with anger from my whole life. It has been a thing I have struggled with massively. It is a huge area of weakness for me. It's something that the Lord has dealt with a lot, but it's still there. I still have to fight this thing. It is a thorn in my flesh that I often find sticking its little head up, and I feel it poking me. And so, it is an area of weakness for me. Having that does not make me sinful. Okay. Acting on it does. 
So it is an area of weakness, and if I act out of my weakness, that usually leads to sin. All right, so you're going to get the picture. So these weaknesses, insults, is the one he mentioned. So those who make fun of you, they injure your dignity, they make fun of your faith or your ethics or your morality or what you believe. They make you feel stupid or weird or inadequate. Anyone had any of that ever? Okay, cool. A few of you have got dodgy friends. I like it. Hardship. So circumstances that are often beyond our control, things that are forced upon us, things we didn't want. They're not the picture we had for our lives. They don't line up with our dreams or what we wanted. They leave us feeling trapped. They leave us feeling with this feeling of suffering. They want to cause us to fall into despair. Things like worklessness, homelessness, loneliness, ill health, difficult relationships, difficult family dynamics, loss, that kind of stuff. Hardships, they don't feel good. Persecutions, unjust or unfair actions or attitudes towards us because of what we believe, because of our faith, because of our moral standpoints. Often these abusive or exploitative relationships, it's like it is unfair what is happening to me. Calamities, distresses or disasters, difficulties, troubles, circumstances that cause us stress or heartache, things that leave us feeling crushed or weighed down. It's death, divorce, ill health, loss of loved ones, loss of jobs or assets or health or security. It's like disaster that comes and you feel suddenly like the rug's kind of pulled out. So who's experienced that kind of stuff? Okay. Who's felt the full sufficiency of God's grace in those moments? Okay, a few of you have. That's cool. I have sometimes. I haven't always. There have been a lot of times where I'm like, Lord, am I dying? Like, what is happening right here? And the thing is that our instinct is often to, to push against these things, to fight back against them to, you know, return the insult or defend ourselves or you slap me, I'll slap you back. Um, to fight against persecution and justify ourselves. To take charge of our own fortunes and destinies and I'm going to work myself to the bone to get out of the situation I am. Get rich or die trying. Put a 50 cent there. Um, <laughs> And yet the Bible doesn't deal with these things that way. You know, we're so moved towards self-preservation. We want to close ourselves off from disaster. We try and account for every eventuality. I've got friends who've got insurance policies for insurance policies. And those things aren't bad, okay? I'm not saying if you have insurance, like you lack faith. It's good. If you have insurance, go for it. Um, but it's this kind of tendency to want to never get caught by surprise, never get caught out. I'm going to be in absolute control of everything. I'm going to account for every eventuality. No disaster is going to befall me. But the Word of God tells us to behave differently. It says things like, don't worry about what you'll eat or what you'll drink. Guys, I worry about that stuff. I'm like, okay, Lord, but I'm hungry. And, you know, fortunately, it's not a major worry, like, I've got food. There's some of us who that's a real worry. You actually do. Like, what am I going to eat or drink? 
Maybe not tomorrow, but next week. The Bible tells us to not repay evil with evil. So you slap me, actually, I can't slap you back. You cut me off in traffic, I can't drive around you and give you the look. Talking to myself here, Ali's laughing because... What is that amazing thing you said to me once when a taxi cut me off and I was bleak? And I was like, it's wrong, they're not following the rules. And you said, what, it's to a man's... Yeah, it's a man's glory to overlook an offense. Guys, when your wife quotes Bible scripture at you in the moment, I was like, I have no defense. And I was also not happy about having no defense because um, I wanted to justify myself. So, but, uh, but it's these difficult things, you know. Um, in 1 Corinthians 4 verse 12 to 13, you don't have to put it up. I didn't give it to you. But he says, when reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we try to conciliate. So when insulted, we seek peace. We seek restoration. Like, this is the stuff the Bible says, but I, I don't always feel this. So these are the kind of hardships and calamities and insults that we're going to face and are facing, okay? But again, these are the, if we act on these things, if we act out of these areas of weakness and lack, that can become sin. So we're not talking about acting on our weaknesses like if you have a weakness for oh whatever like alcohol okay that's a weakness if you're fighting against it that's cool if you give into it that's now sin but we do have these things we live in a broken world we have the sin of adam you know we're all living in it so where do they come from in this case paul actually says this was a messenger of satan this was sent to him by the devil. And I love his own admission here. I said earlier, if I'd been to heaven, I would have been like, Oaks, I saw Jesus. He gave me the download. You all follow me. You're going to be fine. I'm going to show you some stuff. Like, I've got the hotline. You know, Jesus and me, we've got like the secret WhatsApp number. Um, and Paul recognizes this potential in himself to actually become a little bit full of pride. Because that's actually what that thing is. That is pride. That is, I know a little bit better than everybody else here right now. And he recognizes this potential in himself. And so he says he was given a thorn in his flesh. He was given it. It was a gift. It was given to him. His weakness was actually a gift from God. But it was also a messenger of Satan. So how does this work? Was it God or was it Satan? I love it that we aren't told what Paul's thorn was. I love it that it's kind of left vague. And I think that's on purpose. Because if it was me and I knew what Paul's weakness was, one of two things would have happened. It would have been like, ah, shame, eh? Is that what Paul struggled with? Well, at least I'm not, I'm, I'm not that bad. Like, I didn't struggle with that stuff. Or it would have been like, oh wow, that was his only weakness. Dude, you have no idea the stuff I carry. And I would have been demotivated. So it's kind of left vague. It is this thorn that we all have. And so, how does this thing work? Was it Satan? Was it God? So he says it was a messenger of Satan. So this is the relationship between Satan and you and what he kind of wants. He hates you. 
He wants to destroy you. He will do anything and everything he can to break you down, to mess you up, to ruin your life. And sometimes we have a bit of bad theology about what Satan can and cannot do. And so even he is created. He is subject to God's authority. But this is his territory. This is his kingdom. Okay, even in the temptation of Jesus, Satan, so Jesus is baptized, goes into the desert, fasts for 40 days, and then Satan comes to him and says, hey Jesus, look around, everything you see, bow down to me and I will give it to you. Okay, Satan had the authority to give the world, the earth, to Jesus. It is his territory, it's his dominion, but his power is limited. So classic example, you all know the book of Job, you've read the story, Satan comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, you know, Job loves you, but he loves you because you're kind to him. So let me mess with him a bit, and we'll see if he still worships you. And he has to ask Jesus for permission, and the Lord says, okay. And he messes with him a bit, and Job still doesn't fold, and so he says, give me a little bit more territory to mess with with Job and so God gives him a little bit more but you get the picture like Satan's power he has got power here he can touch you but not without God's permission and not to an extent that God doesn't allow him to and so he doesn't have this absolute control God is still totally sovereign please don't all freak out okay but be aware that actually the Satan the devil does have a measure of ability to to interact with us And so Satan's work is to destroy, and he usually uses one of two approaches. Either either it is pride, and what pride leads to is, I can do this, I'm self-reliant, I know what I'm about, that thing, I've been in the presence of Jesus, like I know now how I'm going to do stuff, like you all follow me. But if that doesn't work, it's despair. So actually, you know what? You don't have anything. Your circumstances are way bigger than you could get out of. This thing is going to crush you. That's what his other tactic he loves to do. Just make us feel this feeling of despair that we're not ever going to get out. That we're going to be overcome by our weaknesses. That our circumstances are just going to crush us. That there's no escape, no hope, no joy, no point. And I've been there before for a long time. And so in this picture... Satan sends this thorn to Paul to try and destroy him. But the work of God, as much as the work of Satan is to destroy us, the work of God is to save us. And so God takes this thorn, this messenger of Satan, and he uses it to prevent pride in Paul. He's like, Paul, pride's going to kill you. So I'm going to allow Satan to give you this thorn to inflict this weakness, this hardship on you to prevent pride. And so this thing that the enemy meant for Paul's destruction, God turns around and uses it for Paul's holiness. Which is awesome. Satan wanted to drive Paul to despair. So Paul says, he's like, I don't like this thing. Three times I asked you, I begged you, Lord, take it from me. Take it, I don't like this thing. It's not... Nice. Satan wanted to make him turn from faith because of the hardship that he endured. He had to ask three times. 
I'm often, I'm like, God, please take me out. And he doesn't answer. I'm like, okay, whatever. Like Paul begs him three times, he goes back. And God doesn't do it. But what he does say to Paul is, Paul, I'm not going to take this away. But my grace is sufficient for you. My goodness is enough to see you through this. My power will be made perfect in your weakness. And so Paul has to endure the hardship that Satan has sent, that the Lord has allowed, so that God's grace can come through. And Paul is kept in this place of humility and reliance on God. And if you read Paul, like I, I love the character of Paul because he's such a talented guy. Like the, I'm a lawyer, um, and the book of Romans is well regarded, even in legal circles, as one of the best, most incredibly well-structured legal arguments ever presented. It's like, if you want to build an argument, that's how you do it. Like, this guy had skill. He had this understanding of the scriptures. He was able to speak with so much authority and life, and he wasn't scared. He kind of just went and, like, he was a powerful guy. How easy would it have come to become conceited, to become a little proud, to be like, yeah, God, I got this, man. You called me, watch me work. And so to save him from that, the Lord keeps him in this place of humility, of having to rely on God the whole time. And so the answer is sometimes our weaknesses are the work of Satan in this fallen world. But always... God is working in our weaknesses for his glory and for our good. And so the beauty of his grace is that it is enough to see us through the greatest of trials and hardships. I remember when we had Jet and for pretty much like the first eight months of that guy's life, he was dying. And it was this impossible situation where we were just... We'd go to hospital and we'd see him there and there was nothing we could do. And we would go home and we didn't know if he was going to make it through the night. Our first phone call often in the morning was, did Jet make it through? For long. And you would think that there's no way you should be able to endure that. And we'd often have people come to us and say, wow, like how are you guys doing so well? And I was like, man, we're really not. Like we're not doing much of anything. Um... There were times when I just didn't even know what to pray. I was like, cool, I know I should pray, but God, I don't even know what. You just, just help me, Jesus. That was so often just our prayer. And what's crazy is looking back, we often say this. I was like, you know what? If I had to go through that again to see what I saw of Jesus, I would do it. And that sounds like a stupid thing to say. And it kind of is because it was, it was horrible for us. It was so hard. But oh, we saw Jesus, man. We felt his grace. We saw his power made perfect. And to see that of Jesus, if that's what I had to go through to see that, cool. It was actually, for me, it was a good deal. And so these things that the enemy might send to try and destroy us, they can't diminish God's perfect power. They cannot mess with his divine authority over everything. They can't limit his ability by his grace to direct with infinite skill and love, 
the things meant for our destruction, for our good and for his glory. And I want us to understand this because for me, for a very, very long time, my circumstances were terrible. And I just remember looking at all the things I struggled with and being like, God, how am I ever going to get out of this, let alone make an impact in your kingdom? And for us, I think a lot of us feel like we're there. We feel like we've got to battle through the thing first. And then on the other end of breakthrough, God's going to use us and he's going to do something. And that's not how he works. You may struggle with what you're struggling with now for the rest of your life. I hope you don't. I pray you don't. I pray there is breakthrough. But I can't give you that promise. And so do you spend the rest of your life fighting your weakness, hoping you'll win and then someday God will use you? Or do you say, God, actually, you know what? My circumstances aren't ideal. Or my wounds run deep. But Lord, would you use me? Would your grace be sufficient for me now? Would it be enough? Would your power be made perfect in my weakness so that I can see your kingdom come in my life and then in Brooklyn and Kensington and Maitland and the neighborhood and the world? And so what is the purpose of our weakness? Why do we have to endure these things? Why is life hard? Why do I struggle with poverty or depression or loneliness? Why am I stuck in a difficult marriage? Why do my kids get sick? Why did my parents die? Why have I lost my husband or wife or child? What is the point of the hardship and the difficult things that I have to endure and still endure and still will endure until the day I meet him face to face. Got three reasons for you. One is that sometimes these hardships are sent by Satan to try and defeat and destroy us. He really doesn't like you. And he really doesn't like you loving Jesus. And so he will throw anything and everything he can at you to try and keep you in a place of despair so that you don't ever walk in the fullness of what God's called you to. And if he can destroy you in the process, even better. And so for us, it's okay to resist that. Like, please, this preacher is not all about, hey, just be satisfied with your lot in life. No, I prayed for Jet every single day that God would intervene and God would do something. Pray. Pray in your weaknesses. Pray in your hardships. Paul says, I prayed three times that the Lord would take this away from me. And what I love is Paul kept praying until God actually answered him. Paul prayed and prayed and prayed, and eventually God said, Paul, let me settle this for you. I'm not taking it away. My grace is sufficient for you. So you pray until you get breakthrough and you get your answer. That for Paul, that was his breakthrough. God left the thorn, gave him grace, and made his power perfect in the midst of Paul's hardship. That was the breakthrough. So yes, pray. Please, I'm not just saying sit back and be, you know, suffer with joy and silence. Like, no, it's totally okay to want breakthrough and freedom from these things. God doesn't delight in our suffering. He's loving, he's kind. And sometimes his will really is to rescue us from these difficult circumstances. Sometimes the purpose of our hardship is to keep us humble. 
I'm telling you something, God values your humility far more than he values your comfort. Far more than he values your good health, your best life. His word says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Your humility is of infinite value to Jesus. It attracts his grace. And what I love about humility, it is the ultimate expression of our understanding of who God is and our relationship to him. Humility is this. Jesus, you are God. You are my breakthrough. You are my refuge. You are sufficient for me. I understand the divine order, Lord. You are my healer, my provider, my comforter. In you I overcome. And so we need his grace. The minute we lose it, we're, we're lost. The minute we place our hope or our security in something other than the person of Jesus, we're done. Because that thing grabs a little part of our hearts and it's fallible. It's going to burn like nothing is going to last except him and what he builds. And so then we've stopped relying on his grace and his power. We've given ourselves and our hearts over to something else that brings us security. Be it wife, job, health, children, perfect marriage, whatever. But lastly, and this is my favorite one, is that our weaknesses provide an opening and an opportunity to display the glory of Jesus. Paul says, three times I begged the Lord to take it away. And each time he said, my grace is sufficient. My power is made perfect in weakness. And Paul goes on to say, so now I am glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. I take pleasure in these things because they point to the glory of Jesus. What an understanding of who Jesus is that you'll take joy in those things. I remember us finding joy in the middle of the stuff with Jet. You're like, actually, God, you might take him. I felt that one day like the Lord actually said to me, Adam, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take Jet. And I was, I was gutted, man. I was like, Lord, I don't want that. But if you do, Jesus, I know that I'll still serve you. I know that I'll still love you. I made that decision in my heart that as hard as it would be, I was like, God, that's not going to pull me away from you. And I don't know, I think he changed his mind. I don't know, I'll ask him one day, but I think he changed his mind actually because of how I positioned my heart in that moment. But guys, we saw the glory of God in that time. We saw an entire church learn how to pray for long. Man, we prayed for eight months for that kid, everyone in the church. We saw the beauty of family. We saw God actually step in and create a new part of our son's heart that didn't exist before. Like I saw his glory in our weakness and I was like I am in awe of who Jesus is through what I saw in that time and his grace was enough for us his power was made perfect complete its purpose fully accomplished that is what he does in our weakness and the problem is when you see we love the stories of like the underdog who fights his way through and gets to the top and like 
like old 50 Cent, get rich or die trying, he gets rich. And everyone's like, oh, 50 Cent, such an amazing guy. And like we all, we idolize these people and we revere what they've done, that like by grit and determination, they've pulled themselves through. But what we're glorifying is them, what they've done in their own strength. But then you see people who endure impossible circumstances for years and they spread the gospel and people are saved and people are healed and life breaks out. And we look at people like that and we're like, man, that can only be God. No one in their right mind is going to choose that life for themselves. This can only be God. How glorious. See, guys like Paul and Silas in prison, what's their response? They worship. They're worshiping in prison in the middle of their hardship. Who of you feels like worshiping in the middle of your hardship? And so... My hope for us this morning is that as a people, we would not just settle for our lot in life, that we would, like Paul, be a people who actually prays, who fights and contends for more in Jesus, who fights for breakthrough, but that maybe we start to understand a little bit the relationship we have with our weakness, that we stop waiting to break out of where we are before we really, truly start fully following and serving God. That we learn to actually, in our weakness, be like, Jesus, this is you. You have allowed this. Would you help me see your glory come in it? Help me learn to run in your grace. Show me your power made perfect in my weakness. And that we'd get going. Or that maybe we've become a little too proud, a little too self-sufficient in overcoming stuff ourselves. That we'd look back and say, Jesus, actually, I want to correct that. Teach me humility. Let me understand again this divine order, this relationship that I have with you. Or... Maybe some of us have just given up. Maybe that intimidation, that despair has crept in. And we've looked at where we're at and said, you know what, this is my life. This is only ever going to be my life. Nothing's going to change. There is no hope, no joy, no future, no point. This thing I struggle with, I'm just settling that I'm always going to struggle with it. And you kind of given up a little bit. His grace is sufficient for you. His power will be made perfect in your weakness.